Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I am a research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As those of you who tune in regularly will know at this point, we release three different types of podcasts. Our seminar series provides opportunities to listen back to some of the most important presentations at past events. Our 10 minute lesson series is exactly that. 10 minute lesson where we would aim to educate and inform listeners on particular areas of policy, hitting on key points that people need to know. And there's our interview series where we chat to experts on a wide range of policy areas. This week, I'm joined by Michael Byrne from UCD to chat about one or two aspects of a huge topic, which is housing affordability. Apologies in advance for the sound quality at my end. I have tried to cut as much of myself out of the conversation as possible, but I think you'll still enjoy what Mick has to say. So I suppose Mick, it doesn't even really need to be said now, but Ireland is in the middle of a housing crisis. As I kind of said to you, like to solve the crisis, the aim is presumably to work towards a time where everybody can access decent housing at an affordable price. So the question really is, is affordability the key to ensuring that everybody has access to homes? Yes, I mean, in a sense, in a sense, it is. But I suppose there's probably three things I'd say Mm. in response to that. And the first is that housing affordability can be difficult to measure, number one. The second thing is that it's um, it's just one of a number of issues that are really important for us to take into account. And the third thing is that housing affordability is more a an effect or a consequence of the housing system than a causal factor. So although affordability is key, you the way to fix affordability is to change more fundamental uh, structures within the housing system. So just I can give one example to touch on the first of the, the two of the first two issues I mentioned in terms of measurement and in terms of how other issues are important. If you take, uh, for example, a household that's paying less than 30 percent of their disposable income on rent. On paper, they're that they don't have an affordability issue, but if you imagine that they've achieved that by renting substandard housing. Yeah. Uh, or or overcrowding and i've i've interviewed a lot of tenants who would be in that position that means that although on paper they don't have a housing affordability issue and therefore the data will show that they don't but on the other hand they've been forced into substandard housing which it doesn't even meet the legal minimum standards because of a wider affordability issue in the housing system so that shows one that it can be difficult to measure the issue but it also shows importantly that affordability is just one issue and there's other issues like the quality of accommodation the overcrowding issue um etc that are also very relevant in terms of getting to the type of housing system we want to we want to get to um and then as i say the other the other kind of big picture issue is yes affordability is important but if it's not it shouldn't be the only thing we look at because it's it's an effect of our housing system rather than a, a cause if you like I suppose the flip of that then is that if somebody is paying a four grand a month mortgage, but their household income is ten grand, that's not there's not an affordability issue there. Either. That that thirty percent is is arbitrary. It doesn't really it doesn't necessarily reflect the lived reality. If you're on two or three a week, and your housing costs are less than thirty percent, it still doesn't mean it's affordable. It still doesn't mean that it leaves you with enough. 
with with adequate income. So you know, I, I completely agree. Yeah, like the thirty percent is. I've tried to find out where it came from, and I can't. I mean, I think housing economists will will say it it is a little bit arbitrary the thirty percent. Um way of measuring things um, and some people use 25% and some mm -hmm. people use 40% but I think what most people who work specifically in this area of, of measuring housing affordability will say is that it works quite well when you combine it with looking at specific groups within society especially specific income groups so if you look at people let's say for example the, the people in the bottom 25% uh, or the bottom 40% of the income distribution and look at what proportion of, of those people are spending more than 30% of their income on housing costs, that can give you a pretty good picture. Um, and, and for example, Mean and Whitehead, they, they looked at whether or not that correlates with the actual experience mm -hmm. of financial stress, housing-related financial stress. And they found that, yes, if you look at those people in the bottom 40% of the income distribution who are spending more than 30% of their income on rent, it does actually correlate with financial stress, like not being able to pay your rent, for example. Um, so I, I, I think no measurement is perfect, but mm -hmm. I think when you, when you combine that 30% figure with some other criteria, it can yeah. be a very useful way to see um, the extent of affordability problems. In the, it's in important the to nuance it, I suppose, that it's not just a... 30% that's your cutoff, below it is one thing, above it is something else. As you said, that it's it's one of a series of indicators that can give kind of valid valid return. Okay, thank you. Yeah, exactly. And and then that issue of you have to look at it as well as just as just one issue. So mm -hmm. it's really important as well to to be aware of things like housing quality. But also, you know, this is particularly relevant in the Irish case, something like security. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think that's really underplayed in the mm -hmm. Irish context um, in many ways but even you know you, you're spending um, x amount of your income on rent but what are you getting in return for that is, is I think a really important issue and for renters they're not getting security in return for that which I think is is uh, is something we we need to take into account more there's one other issue I just touch on briefly which mm -hmm. is the inequality issue so you know often when we talk about housing affordability we're, we're, what we're talking about is whether or not there are households or what proportion of households are experiencing some kind of hardship or are they at risk of poverty as a result of housing costs or just are they able to access housing and all of that is really important nobody would argue that it's not but i think it's also relevant to think about inequality between groups within the housing system so you know it's relevant how many people are struggling to access housing, but it's also relevant how that differs between groups. So, for example, to give two examples, if we look at tenure inequality in the Irish case, you know, there's a big difference between the experiences of owner occupiers and the experiences of renters yeah. and that there's a fairness issue there, um, which I think is very relevant for housing policy. Another thing you can do, and this is what um, IREC and the SRI in their recent report on monitoring adequate housing have done is to look at differences between groups like for example migrants or lone parent families and um, what they found in their research is that affordability issues are much bigger for, for those groups so that and that's really important as well I think because it's not just about 
um, during, uh, you know, focusing just on that access to housing for for uh, issue in, and affordability in that regard. But I think we can also think about how equal and fair our um, our housing system is as a whole, and to what extent there are big disparities in people's experiences. And that's very important for things like opportunities and um, like people, for example, children who are growing up in rental housing. You know, if they're experiencing a lot of moves, uh, a lot of insecurity, they're having to change school frequently, etc. That's going to impact on their uh, participation in education and, and later employment. So that inequality between tenures is is going to be very relevant for other forms of inequality later in life. I completely agree. I I, I think if if you especially say during COVID, where if you were unable to pay your mortgage the bank gave you some sort of leeway and and for mortgages in general if you enter into trouble with the mortgage that takes a very long time to see it through so you can be years if not i mean there are, there are definitely households that have been decades since the crash not meeting their full mortgage obligations but still living in the house still trying to find a a solution still trying to work towards some sort of, of way of staying in the house it would be highly unlikely as a renter that you would be able to have negotiations with your landlord for 10 years and you know sort of say look I'll, I'll pay as much as i can this week and i'll pay as much as i can this week and i'll fill in these forms and i'll do this and i'll show you my bank statements so you're absolutely right like it it is the owner occupier even when you're in difficulty with your payments you're still much more secure in your insecurity than you would be in the in the, in the private rented sector completely absolutely and i think the same is true in with regards to social housing as well i mean yeah. tenants in social housing have much more security and rent arrears levels in social housing can actually be quite high but eviction levels are extremely low yeah. And I think private renters have a very strong argument to make that there's a systematic unfairness and injustice in the housing system um, because they really are getting the short end of the stick when it comes to these types of issues. But the next thing that I suppose is to look at the types of things that affect prices and affect affordability. Can you touch on some of those for me? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there, there is a bit of debate and controversy around this issue um, at times. But essentially... You know, there's two sets of factors that are shaping affordability. There's market factors and non-market factors. So when I say non-market factors, these are the most straightforward in that there's a proportion of housing which is provided on a non-market basis, especially obviously social housing. But now we're also going to have cost rental housing and we're going to have affordable purchase housing under the housing for all strategy. Um, and, And so the the, the, the rent levels in social housing and the, the price um, levels of affordable purchase, they're going to affect affordability for that cohort. And, and, and that's coming from essentially government policy decisions. And, you know, there's, there's other factors that, that shape that. And then you have the market factors. So what are the factors that are shaping rents and shaping uh, house prices in the, in the private sector? And here, you've, you know, some people will focus entirely on supply um, and they'll argue that supply is what determines house prices or or rent levels Um, whereas I would tend to argue that you've got to look more closely at the relationship between supply and demand so not not just look at supply um, because there's important factors on the demand side 
So the supply issue is hugely important. And in Ireland, I think there is pretty clear evidence that we have a structural imbalance between supply and demand, that there's insufficient um, there's insufficient supply. And certainly any of the pieces of research that have looked specifically at, at that issue from, for example, the Central Bank and others have, have come to that conclusion. Um, on the other hand, then, there's the, the demand side uh, side of the equation and, and this is I think where a lot of the, the interesting stuff is at the moment so what's going to affect that is uh, things like incomes people's incomes um, and in, in Dublin you know we have a situation where a lot of high income jobs are concentrated in central Dublin um, and we have a situation where there's a lot of inequality in terms of wages um, so you may have a proportion of the population who are in high income jobs that are located in central Dublin and they're going to be pushing house prices in one direction up and then you've but you've also got this big cohort of people on low wages who are who are therefore going to find it more and more difficult to keep up and they're going to be more and more pushed outside the city or they're going to be more and more um have to live with their parents longer etc cetera, etc cetera. And then you have um, low in the, the more sort of financial context. So we have low interest rates, and low interest rates have a big impact on house prices, um, and uh, so that's a factor. And then the the kind of um, the whole issue of financialization and the impact that financial institutions have on house prices, such as uh, you know the institutional landlords, what some people call vulture funds, in in the Irish context. So you, I think you've got to take into account. All of these, um, all of these factors, when you're trying to understand affordability, rather than focusing exclusively on on one set of factors. There's a lot there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there is a lot there, and it means that there can, you know, there's very different ways to tackle that because you can you can tackle it by focusing just on the supply side, which some people advocate, and then you can also tackle it by focusing more on you know by tackling more so financialization for example to affect the other set of issues what would your preference be or as you said would it be an integration of supply and demand so the population has grown by a million and a half in the last 30 years and we have we certainly haven't built a million and a half homes in the last 30 years so i i would um my focus would be you have to do several different things at the same time. So I think the supply issue has to be tackled. And, and yeah. But the crucial point there is the more you can tackle that in a non-market way, in yeah. the places that matter most, the better your outcome will be. So, you know, essentially, I think in the Irish context, the, the more we can deliver the increase in supply, outside the market in the urban areas where demand is highest, where land prices are highest, et cetera, the better your outcomes will be in terms of affordability. Um, while at the same time, recognizing that, you know, the, the increase in supply in the, in the private market is, is also has to be a part of the, has to be a part of the solution just because we're, we're very unlikely to be able to provide all the housing we need on a non-market on a non-market basis and in many parts of the country you know it shouldn't be too difficult for the private market to deliver relatively affordable housing because they're not areas of very high demand and then at the same time um i do think that we need to think very seriously about how we stop property markets from overheating by tackling more of those financialization issues. That's and that's a very um, that's a very complex issue, and it's not very well understood 
currently by researchers or policymakers because it's quite a new, a relatively new issue. But um, I, I do think that we are going to need and we're probably going to see in the future more measures to reduce investment in land and property as a financial asset um, in order to take some of the heat out of property markets. Because the same thing that is happening here is happening in practically everywhere, um, practically everywhere in the in the so-called advanced economies. Yeah. So I, I think, and, and we're starting to see countries introduce measures that are trying to kind of tackle this issue of financialization. Um, but um, I think there's going to be a lot of work over the next years to, to try to figure out how best to do that. And it's a difficult one as well, because I often think it's funny because you could be living, say, in a, a build to let apartment block that's increasing the rent, which you can't afford. But that build to let apartment block is also maybe part of your pension trust. You know, that kind of thing. So you actually need it to pay out in 50 or 60 years time, you know, when we retire at 85. See, like, as you said, how it's all tied up. In, in it's more than housing now, isn't it? Really, it, it's an international, it's international finance. It's just figures on paper for people. It's about a return on your profit. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And some people, like the the researcher Manuel Albers, call this the the financial real estate complex. Um, and, and that's basically what's emerging. It's only one of the factors. So we, we shouldn't as well just there is a bit of a danger of exaggerating the, the importance of this but it's only one it's it's only one factor but it's a really important one and it 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 seems very daunting because the financial system can appear to be very complex well it is very complex and the different ways in which finance interacts with housing can be very complex on the other hand though i think there do, it does present opportunities so one way to think about this is just to say there's more money in the financial system now in economies, contemporary economies, and that money is always looking for more ways to make, make more money, make more money yeah. out of real estate. Real estate yeah. is one of the main ways they like to make money. And in the past, you know, the financial people, they were a lot focused on shopping centers and office blocks. Mm-hmm. It's only in relatively recent time that they've realized that they can also make big money in, in the residential sector. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so that then, so you've got all this money and it's pouring into our housing system trying to make profit and that's driving up, um, some people argue and I think there's some evidence of this, that that can drive up prices. But another way of looking at it is, what if we could take the money that's in the financial system and instead of directing it or, or allowing it to be directed in a purely profit-seeking way, direct that money towards affordable housing? Um, and it is it is possible it is possible to do that. And a new a new report called Housing 2030 looks at some of the ways some of the ways you can do that. So there's a, what I'm trying to say is I suppose there's a potential opportunity there. More money in the financial system, I think, doesn't necessarily have to be bad for housing. It, the problem is that if you're using financial market mechanisms and profit based mechanisms in order to channel that money into the housing system, it is probably going to lead to speculation and, and, and bubbles and all those types of issues. But if you can get that money out of that those channels of investment and into channels of investment, which are about um, you know not, not, not delivering housing at market prices, but instead delivering them at affordable non-market prices, then I think that can um, 
that can actually be a benefit. I think there's a lot of potential there for in Ireland and internationally. I, th- I do think as well, no matter what type of fund you have, they're going to try and make as much money as they can. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, that's, 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 that's their modus operandi. That's how they work. You can direct money into affordable housing, but in, unless that happens in a way that's very regulated, you'll definitely, I think, commercial pressures will continue to be, continue to be present. I think you have to, one of the problems that we have in the housing system is just that there's unrealistic expectations about what the private housing market can achieve um, um, and what how private housing markets um, work. Um, and, you know, I think and with those unrealistic expectations about the market, there's a real underappreciation of the other options that we have around taking land out of the market and taking housing out of the market you know not not for for everyone but especially in those places where the issues are are most serious like urban areas of of high demand it's more just for, um, that the debate in ireland it's all about so for give you an example sometimes people say this house in this place is is it's 400 grand that's mm-hmm. not affordable Therefore, it's bad. That policy yeah. is bad because of that number. They just look at the number and then the number, they don't like the number. It's too high, but it's not the number. There's more to what's happening than the number. And, and uh, there's ways that that's relevant to important kind of policy um, policy issues. Is there any other sort of key points that you want to hit on? Any other key issues that you really want to make sure we get covered? I think uh, there is one issue that... I sometimes think gets overplayed in the public debate around um, which around affordability, which is sometimes an excessive focus on headline house prices or headline rents in a way that um, can take draw our attention away from more structural issues in the housing system, which are which are equally important. And I would have a concern, for example, in relation to housing for all that in the assessment of housing for all, you know, that, that's where all the focus will be because the media love to kind of quote house prices and then say, you know, that they're very unaffordable, they're very high or whatever. Um, but so to, to give a concrete example of what I mean, if we look at the cost rental housing sector, which is this new policy, which has been brought in by the government, current government, and they're trying to um, create a, a, an affordable rental sector where rents will be lower than the private market, mm-hmm. but they'll be higher than social housing. And these rental units will be available for people who are not eligible for social housing. So it's kind of a measure that's targeted at generation rent. And the idea is that the rents in the cost rental sector will be high enough to cover the costs of provision. So the tenants will be paying a given rent. And that means that over the 30 years or, or some defined period, um, the cost of the construction and the property management and uh, everything that goes into it can be paid back. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we don't know exactly how high rents are going to be in the cost rental sector, but it, it looks like they could be, let's say, or in some of the debates, some of the figures that have been quoted have been, say, around €1,200 a month for, say, for a, a two-bedroom apartment. And some people will look at that figure and say, well, that's unaffordable, and, and a lot of people on lower incomes couldn't afford that. Um, and my concern is that I don't think that's a good way to assess the contribution of cost rental to affordability. Right. So what I mean is the headline rent that you see in the, the, the year one of the project mm-hmm. is not 
does not tell you the whole story about the impact on affordability. So, and that's for two reasons or, or, or more. One, rents in cost rental sector will be stable over time. So they'll get more affordable over the years and decades. That's really, really important because over years and decades, you build up a big stock of very affordable rental, right? As wages grow over 5, 10, 15 years, the rents will start to look better and better. Mm-hmm. And they'll also be much better. They'll get better and better over time when compared to private market rents as well. So that's one reason why we shouldn't just take the year one headline rent as the key indicator of affordability. The second reason is it's new supply. So the people who move into this are probably going to be moving out of uh, houses in the private rental sector. So it'll, it'll free up supply in the private rental sector, which will ultimately help affordability. Uh, thirdly, for those households who do move in, it could have a really big impact for them depending on on what their income levels is, right? So the fact that it's not affordable for everyone Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's not going to be affordable. And for a lot of people, and a lot of people who might have been trapped paying extortionate rents in the private rental sector for years, so it could have a huge impact for them. And then finally, if you can have a sector like cost rental and you can make it financially sustainable, it can become a major new avenue of supply for the housing sector as a whole over the long term. And from an affordability point of view, that is much, much, much more important than the headline rent in year run of the project. And so that's why I would just, rather than saying, looking at a government policy and assessing it purely on the basis of the prices or the rents it can deliver in the short term, I think it's much more important to assess policies on the basis of their overall contribution to bringing in sustained supply of below market priced housing that can strengthen our housing system as a whole in a sustainable way over over the long term. So it's, I suppose it's the fourth point you made really, isn't it, about even defining affordability is that there's nuances. Yeah, there's absolutely, there's absolutely nuances and we, and, and we can't get caught up in just the, 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 a very a figure, a very blunt figure. Okay. Um, and, and especially we can't, the important thing is to understand that the system and how all the different aspects come together. Um, and and that's, that's, I think, sometimes lost in the debates, you know. And I, I do think it's because the media, they, they love to do this thing with politicians where they say, you say you're going to deliver affordable housing. Here's this new scheme and rents are 1,200 euro in it. How do you explain that? You know, it's a way of putting politicians on, on the spot or whatever. It's a way of kind of generating debate. I, you know, I can understand why journalists do that um, because obviously they have to make these complex policies meaningful to people in a way that's that they can understand. But at the same time, you know, the point I'm making is that a, a lot can get lost in that. And I think it can lead to kind of a knee-jerk reaction that is is not is not helpful. Okay. That's interesting. So I suppose just to go back to housing for all and, and Mean and Whitehead, when they've written a book about under called Understanding Affordability, whilst it is very much UK based, a lot of it is transferable. And there was one line in it that kind of caught my eye, which is that it has been argued that politicians concerned with housing policy often look busy without adopting policy measures that would disturb the status quo. Now, whilst I'm not suggesting that that is the case, you know, did rebuilding Ireland deliver? Will housing for all deliver? 
it'll be very interesting to see will the proposals in housing fraud genuinely shake up as you said the the housing system yeah it's a good quote and what it really reminds me of is is simon coveney when he was minister for housing which which was when the uh, rebuilding ireland program was introduced because he made this big deal about how in the first i think it was in the first hundred days of government he was going to come up with a new housing strategy and he was really busy and in fairness to him he you know he went around and spoke to everybody in the housing sector and he, he did have a very good understanding of what was going on but ultimately rebuilding ireland did you know it didn't really at all disturb the the the, the status quo and that led to you know essentially five lost years really as far as i'm concerned of 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 opportunity there between 2016 and 2021 i think we'll be paying the cost of that for many many years and decades to come because you just how the housing systems especially one like the irish one that's in crisis it doesn't give you the luxury of not really doing anything for five years if you take that decision as a society, you put, you're going to pay a big, big, big price for that. And a lot of households in Ireland are going to pay a very heavy price for the inaction between 2016 and 2021. I think in terms of housing for all, um, it, it's different. You know, in housing for all, I don't think anybody could say that it doesn't change the status quo. Um, the budget for the investment in, in social housing, for example, or uh, and in cost rental and affordable rental uh, affordable purchase is you know there's a big multi-annual commitment in there and you can agree with it or disagree with it but it, it's certainly a step change from what what status quo was secondly there's measures in there like especially cost rental and also um linking rent increases to inflation which again people have different views about it and but it's it's definitely not the status quo if you had said to me 10 years ago that a Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael government uh, and the Green Party would, would um, link rents, would regulate rents to and link by linking them to inflation in Ireland, which does give us one of the strongest sets of rent controls anywhere in the world, whether or not you think they're good or bad, mm-hmm. I would have said that it's never in a million years going to happen you know it never ever happened you know people were calling for rent controls of this nature mm-hmm. back in, in 2014 2015 and they were being called utopians and fantasists um so i don't think you can say you know i don't think you can say it's just the status quo we we are seeing a huge change in the irish housing system at the yeah. moment beauty and punches i think it's probably the irish housing book isn't it it's that was written in 2006 i think and they quote a threshold report from the early 90s which again is looking for security of tenure is looking for rent. Oh, <laughs> i nearly burst into tears when i read it because i went really <laughs> you know so i suppose the hope will be that you know should we have a conversation at the end of housing for all that it would be very different ideally that's, that's what you'd hope that's that's what you'd hope and i think that depends on the politics of this mm-hmm. because it's depressing to look back and, and see how the same issues have been going on for so long. At the same time, though, there is it is different now because there is a window of opportunity. I mean, the fact that, you know, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael government is linking rent, rent increases to inflation, you know, for example, the fact that they're openly accepting that the private housing market cannot deliver um affordability across the board what that tells you or how i would interpret that is given that those parties you know have have a record of being quite committed to neoliberal approaches to politics and economics what that tells you is they don't 
understand what's happening in the housing system. They're not sure where how to tackle it. They don't have a clear analysis and, and a clear set of principles. You know, there's there's confusion there. I think people in the center in Irish politics have been really taken aback by how deep this crisis has gotten. Um, and that confusion in, 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 in conjunction with the, you know, the terrible consequences of the housing crisis is, is, creates a political window where ideas like more radical ideas can have much more currency and much more traction politically. Um, so I think if, if those people, or those forces in society that are willing to undertake a radical transformation of the housing system, which is not something that won't have, you know, it's it's a difficult to do and it has costs. And as a society, you have to be prepared to for everybody con- to contribute to that process. But I think those forces that are working in that direction have much more opportunity now than they 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 have ever had in the time that I, I've been following uh, housing politics in Ireland. I think that might be the perfect note. <laughs> we'll go on a high, Mick. Would that be the trick? <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mel. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you found it useful. And if you have any ideas for future conversations for podcasts, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.